Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Tonight on the Hinckley Report. The field to become Utah's next governor grows increasingly crowded as more contenders join the race. Election officials and candidates gear up for a historic primary season. Utah's governor releases an ambitious budget while legislators unveil their priorities to set the stage for the upcoming session. And Salt Lake City inaugurates a new mayor. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Spencer Stokes, president of Stokes Strategies, Paul Nelson, reporter with KSL News Radio, and Mara Carabello, president of the Exoro Group. So glad to have you all with us today. Big week in politics, big week in news. I wanted to jump right in, uh, Spencer, first with you. Uh, what's happening with this, this, this issue in Iran? Uh, the United States, of, of course, involved in this, this international conflict, but our own congressional delegation very much involved with this as well. Mike Lee in particular. You were closely with him for a while. Talk about his reaction to, to what's occurred. Well, I think that, uh, first off, let, let's state this was a bad guy that has done things to the United States uh, and it has been stirring up things. So uh, whether you agree or disagree with uh, whether or not he should been, have been taken out, I think Senator Lee is not questioning whether or not he should have been taken out. He is asking um, Article one is that president needs to come to Congress and that's what he was pushing back on. Um, uh, apparently, according to you know those close to the situation in, in uh, Senator Lee's office, um, he was he was a little put off that they were saying, if you talk about this outside of here, you're un-American, or if you're or if you're questioning us about this, you're un-American. And the part he was questioning, to be clear, was the president needs to come to Congress before any further uh, actions are taken. Right. Mike Lee got it right this week. I mean, he got it right for America, and he did something we're not seeing as much as we need to see now, which is he represented his position in the United States Senate and spoke to the balance of powers, which is at the heart of what a senator should be doing. And he came from an articulate place and an understanding of the Constitution. And I like that he put aside, this isn't a litmus test of your party. It's not a test of your feelings about the president. And he's a bona fide Republican, he's a bona fide conservative. That's not what's at question. I think most people believe that he was a bad guy, but I do think it is it is critical at this time where we have to continue to say, what are the balance of powers? How does the executive branch defer and relate to the legislative branches? And how do we make sure that we are getting the best input possible? And I think it was very fair and should spur a continued focus on our Constitution and the way we've crafted 
tested it. And Mike Lee cut through it this year or this week, somewhat with his bluntness, but somewhat with his passion about focusing on the fundamentals of government. Hey, Paul, I want to get your comment on this. Maybe I, why don't we read his words as you yeah. get ready to answer on this? Because he did, he was pretty direct for Mike Lee. It may have been pretty hot, right. uh, more than I've seen for some time. Maybe you've seen him that way as you work so closely with him. But this is what he said. It is not acceptable for officials within the executive branch of government. I don't care whether they're the CIA with the Department of Defense or otherwise to come in and tell us that we can't debate and discuss the appropriateness of military intervention against Iran. It's un-American. It's unconstitutional. It's wrong. The odd thing was that happened very, that very same day. There was an interview that he did on KSL News Radio with Jeff Kaplan, and he was asked because the all of the national press made it it seemed like as if he was uh, splitting with the president about this, um, about what happened. And he was trying to say, actually, it isn't with President Trump, it's with his handlers. And when he started talking about that, he was kind of saying, if his handlers can do what they were doing, then maybe we do need to take a closer look at uh, the War Powers Act that was going, the, mm -hmm. the Democratic uh, bill that was being passed around. And the odd thing is, is that it seemed like as if he was at a, at a rift with President Trump, but he tried to say, no, it isn't Trump personally. Uh -huh. It's with everybody else That's around That's such an interesting him. point. Is that distinction he, being Well, he spoke true? with the president last night. Uh -huh. uh, they're in a good place. Uh, you saw the, the tweet, the president, most awesome, best uh, briefing ever to happen, you know. And uh, so uh, Senator Lee and the president spoke last night, and they're, you know, he under they both understand each other, where they're coming from. You've got to understand that Mike Lee is also quarterbacking from the, the legal side and the constitutional mm -hmm. side what's happening with the impeachment hearing. So the last person that the president's going to get crosswise with is Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee. And uh, this is an area I don't think anybody should be surprised. This is an area that is near and dear to Senator Lee's heart, the Constitution. And he's going to fight for it every day, mm -hmm. all day. And in issues yeah, yeah. of national security, we should have an expectation that our elected officials work on behalf of the system and not on behalf of politics at that moment. It's always been a unifying place when we are really looking. And America has to continue to be unified about the protection um, and, and freedoms and what we stand for. And, and I liked that he brought it back from politics and came back to the fundamentals of government. In any chamber of government at all, they will definitely worry if, say, they're their authority if their power is right. diminished in any way. So, mm -hmm. of course, Mike Lee would want to protect the ability of the Senate to do what it needs to do. Right. Uh, what are you hearing from Utahns on this one, Paul? Are, are, they, are they understanding this distinction? Uh, between uh, the rift between uh, yes. Lee and Trump instead yeah, of yes. Trump's handlers? Yes. Uh, doesn't sound like it. It sounds like a lot of people are still considering this as a split between Lee and the president himself, um, even though I think he would clarify to say, no, that's not exactly what mm -hmm. I was trying to say. But then again, he, he, you called him blunt. His bluntness did make it sound like as if, okay, him and the president are definitely at odds at this one. But again, a senator should be at odds with the executive branch about the continuing propensity of the executive branch to make unilateral decisions. That included uh, uh, some conversations with Obama. I mean, it, it is, at moments like this, it's much more about the branch of government and not the party you uh -huh. belong to. Well, I think the thing that was offensive was to say, if you're going to have a, a discussion about this, it's un-American. Right. And mm -hmm. it, it is the right of the, of the legislative branch to 
to ask those kinds of questions, and they should have been more forthcoming in how they addressed it. I think making it clear, no one was arguing that this person wasn't a bad guy. It was over how it was done mm -hmm. and the briefing. Mm -hmm. uh, are, is, is our delegation mostly united in this approach? As far as um, Soleimani being yeah. taken out, yeah, I, I haven't seen a so single it comes statement down to the from anybody talking about. Yeah, mm -hmm. that actually said, well, maybe we shouldn't have done this. Um, the, the debate wasn't necessarily between them whether or not Soleimani should have been taken out as a target. The question was how imminent was the attack. Yeah. That's what's really up for debate. Okay, so let, let's talk about another blunt uh, candidate. Greg Hughes has entered the race uh, for governor of the state of Utah. Get it done. That seems that's his uh, slogan. That, right? that is that is his, his slogan. How does how does his en entrance into this race change it? Well, I don't think it changes much. I think everybody is is interested in what's going to happen with the percentages at the primary. I do think you're going to see a solid six candidates in this race, and and former Speaker Greg Hughes, who is. Uh, aggressive, a well-spoken, articulate leader, um, has, has said he's only going through the convention. So yeah. does that paint a target on him? Will he become somebody that everyone's trying to knock out of the convention? Or is it better to have him come out of the convention so you yeah. split the vote six or seven ways? That's the, that's the thing that I was speaking with um, some political analysts or polit political science professors about. Um, delegates hate, hate when people go the signature route. They yes. absolutely despise it because it does, again, it diminishes their power, their authority. And so, I remember when it was a 2016, Governor Herbert got booed at, by the delegates at the convention. He had enough signatures, he already qualified to get on the ballot anyway. And then he goes to the primary, just blows. Uh, 44, just, uh, it 44 was, percentage points ahead of his yeah, opposition. Yeah, it was, it was a landslide. So, I mean, it, this the fact that he's not collecting signatures could very well play play well in the convention because yeah, the yeah. delegates... A couple like, of things here, I like uh, about yeah. the 2020 cycle is that we, we're in our third round of having the option of going to delegates. And yet, what I love about that is it's not predictory yet. Mm -hmm. I think what I love about the governor's race is that usually behind the scenes, most of us have coalesced on what we think the horse race looks like. It's not, we, we have strong candidates, uh, everyone's serious, everyone's serious-minded, everyone has their compartments. Um, Hughes is the first one who came in and very much said, I'm going to choose this route. And the delegate system has some built-in off-ramps that the other place doesn't, right? If he doesn't get 40%, it's an off-ramp and there's nothing he can do about it. Um, but you have a really dynamic Republican delegate system right now. And remember, despite what we say sometimes about it being a stagnant pool of people, it has some ebb and flow as to who yeah. shows up, meaning you can recruit still to get your people and get it there. It. Um, mm -hmm. And the one thing I think that, that Greg Hughes will bring to the table, at least he said he will, and I hope so, is that he's been really focused on moving past platitudes and wanting to see plans. And, and if we're speaking candidly about election, cycles, that's a very hard thing for a candidate to do. You have two minutes with someone to persuade them. And yet, if it if it gets too high level, it lacks substance. Yeah. And he's very bent on bringing up lots of words. Uh, and and, and yeah. let's say that uh -huh. he, he has, I mean, he, he's a great candidate, but there are six other great candidates. Yeah. And that, you know, we should be we should be pretty pleased as a state and as a party, Republican Party, that there are so many great choices. Um, 
really you couldn't go wrong having one of these folks be the governor. Uh, I think there's a difference between who will work with the legislature, who will be able to articulate to the general public once they are governor. I think there are some differences in that, but they're still great choices. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's true, and, and it makes us we end up talking about policy also is what they're already mm -hmm. starting to do. Uh, I want to just pull up this thread that Paul was mentioning too. Is this a good strategy on his part to forego the signature gathering. He's the only candidate for governor right now that's doing that. And there are other candidates who thought they would do the same thing, and now they're not an elected official. Right. 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 So uh, ask, ask Senator Henderson. Yeah, Deidre Henderson. Yeah. Yes. Um, that was a, I think that was a, a, uh, a choice that she thought was going to pan out for her with the delegates, yeah. and it did not end up happening that way. And I, I like to say that delegates are the bo ultimate board of directors, and they really have uh, good sense as to who they're going to put forward. Mm -hmm. And remember, even though there's six, possibly seven candidates that are going to be on the ballot, they can only put two forward. Mm -hmm. So they're going to try to put to forward their two best you know, candidates. No, it's a good strategy for someone who doesn't have universal name ID. So, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, voters vote for people they're familiar with, and, and, and stats show that generationally. And for someone who has immediate to moderate name ID, a Speaker of the House traditionally doesn't have name ID, but probably for political watchers like delegates, he has a high degree of it. So it, it's a calculated risk, um, but for someone with low name ID, it's probably a smart move when you can't compete against an, a national ID or a statewide ID like a Huntsman, but you say, hey, listen, I think I can get some traction with a smaller group who will spend more time yeah. looking into who I am, and I think that's likely a calculated risk. Uh, yeah. so, so Paul, uh, I'll tell you who it has worked out for is Congressman Chris Stewart. Right. Right. He's, a, he's the other one that's announced that he will not be getting signatures, but he's, he's been able to navigate this every time. I don't think he's even had to have a primary. Yeah, right? so. yeah, he hasn't really needed one. And, you know, some people were asking questions about, like, well, you know, can the Democrats kind of continue on the uh, momentum that was built in the last election? Uh, well, to kind of, of course, it always just depends on the candidate. But, um, yeah, if, if the delegates in his district just absolutely hate when people work around them, which is what the signature yeah. gathering Let process is. Let me tell you is. what I think is curious mm. in Chris Stewart, Trace, is, uh, you know, you have this, I, granted, it's an open seat in the governor, but what it's, it's shown is the degree of qualified Republicans who want a platform, who, who believe mm. that they're worthy of being elected. And I'm very surprised that Stewart is not seeing a qualified Republican take him on. When you look at his statistics and you look at his um, dissatisfaction numbers, even among his Republicans in his district, I'm very surprised that mm. there's not a Republican who maybe doesn't dislike him. I mean, the, the misnomer I want to get away from is you should vote for people that you like or dislike. You should vote for people who do the job you want them to do, and then you should like everyone if you want to. Yeah, but, I'm but I'm surprised he has not seen a, a competitive challenger, a qualified challenger within the Republican Party. And if you're only doing the convention route, it's still early. That's that's right. Um, Mar March is filing, you know, mid-March is filing deadline. I will tell you another thing that I think uh, uh, former Speaker Hughes is considering is if you don't come from money and you have $500,000 in your bank account, do you want to spend one hundred and fifty to $200,000 on getting mm -hmm. signatures? Because it's almost impossible in the governor's race to do them all. It's 28,000 signatures. In a congressional yeah. race, you can go out and get 7,000 signatures, but it's almost impossible to do it in a governor's race. So I think his his calculation is, I don't want to waste I don't want to waste my money that way. I don't want to spend my $500,000 that way. I'd rather spend it on radio and television. And I do think you're going to see him in the coming weeks be on radio and television, at least cable. 
He's yeah. already up with oh, a TV and a radio bite, from what I understand, right. as his Huntsman, as his Cox, and so, I mean, they're coming in early. Okay, uh, I want to keep talking about some of the voting op options for people in the state of Utah. We're going to be able to participate in Super Tuesday. Yay. This year, Spencer, <laughs> what does that mean? March 3rd, right? For the first time we're- uh, For the first time, and I, you know, we all thought that this would make it so that Utah wouldn't be a flyover state. Mm -hmm. uh, we have had some Democrat mm -hmm. uh, presidential candidates come here, but we haven't had as many as I think everyone thought we would have. Um, you know, clearly in the Republican Party, we probably will see a, a, a visit by President Trump once during this cycle. Mm -hmm. So I think in Utah, uh, our hope is to try to get people to come and pay attention to us yeah. and listen to our policy concerns. It probably won't happen this first year, but it will happen in the future. But let's yeah. talk about yeah. what we can do. So if you live in Salt Lake <laughs> County, you you received your notice saying, hey, if you want to vote, tell us who you want to vote about for. Let's talk about that. Right? Yeah. You, you have to choose. You have to choose um, whether you want a Democratic ballot or a Republican ballot. If you want a Democratic ballot, you just ask for it. If you need a Republican ballot, you also need to go register as a Republican. But you know, you can change back if you want to. I think what Spencer said is, though, interesting and that for a number of years we've been grappling with how to be relevant and we've changed dates here and there. So what I would say is this is an opportunity that won't pay off our first time, but if we all go vote in whatever election we want to, we will get noticed and next time around we will we'll we'll get, happen. I do it, too. It, it already kind of, it is right. starting now because I spoke with a, a Sherry Swenson just yesterday asking, hey, are we noticing any kind of uptick in kind of registrations or things like that? She said since Christmas um, they've already already received, uh, I think 6,000 people have registered to vote, an extra um, uh, 6,000 people have actually registered. And, and that's the Salt Lake County Clerk. That's Salt Lake County Clerk. And so, um, and, and most of them are asking for the Democratic ballot, but at the same time though, she says, yeah, people are paying attention. And uh -huh. it's not gonna be necessarily, as you're talking about, as attention grabbing as maybe we want it to be the first uh, first year, but it's it's starting. Well, and it's, it's difficult because as much as I would like to switch over to be a Democrat to vote in the Democrat presidential primary, I've signed a I've signed a petition for someone to get on the ballot, and you have to be a registered yeah. Republican. So it's, it's going to be very difficult if someone's signed to be a registered, you know, to, yeah. on a on a gubernatorial uh, initiative uh, petition to switch and then vote in the pre because it you know, might dis depending on when the petition gets submitted. Yeah, it might disqualify the sure. signature potentially. Yeah, what's the woman? I was going to switch over for the woman who's the um, that like has crystals and, and what's her name? I think she's out now. Oh, okay. she did. You could probably yeah, buy yeah, her you books your still, window. Spencer, yeah. and live uh, by her motto. Hey, Paul, let's talk about <laughs> one of these things because Mara mentioned that uh, letters have gone out to the unaffiliated mm -hmm. voters in, in the state of Utah, which many might not know. This is just over one out of every three voters in Utah are unaffiliated. Mm -hmm. uh, how does that impact these elections and the calculations of these candidates? Because I don't think people realize that the number is that big. Yeah, the um, I, I was surprised that when Sherry Swenson told me a long time ago that most of the uh, they have one of the biggest increases of uh, people who are registering were unaffiliated. They weren't going Republican or Democrat. But um, as far as like when it comes the impact on these elections, it's definitely the interest has been over the presidential um, yeah. primaries. So this they believe it's going to probably have a ripple effect also on the gubernatorial primaries as well. Um, but for right now, it does seem like everybody is, the interest is definitely in the presidential race. The surge of unaffiliated voters happened historically when the Republicans closed yeah. um, and required. But what now has become interesting in the last little bit is there's more activity because of your ability to get petition signatures, because of your act your ability to get on a primary ballot uh, with without going through convention. It's made for a more dynamic 
dynamic universe. And, and I think eventually the Republican Party may hit a wall there where they have what we would call unaffiliated registered but leaning voting Republicans who, who have really moved down to unaffiliated. But now there's all this activity going on at the Republicans. I'm not f persuaded it will drive them to the party. I think there's a chance the party might need to be more compelling to have these registrations change. I, I agree with Mara. I will tell you that in the last election, the analysis of everyone said, well, Ben McAdams won. He won because there was a huge turnout for people who wanted to vote for medical marijuana. If you go look at the the three groups of people who registered first time voters, the largest group of them were unaffiliated, not Republicans, mm -hmm. not Democrats, but unaffiliated. And, and where I think that that really has a, a long lasting effect is in a, a West Side district where you're trying to get signatures and get on the ballot, you have to find a thousand, two thousand registered Republicans. And if the pool is so small, where do you go find them? So I think that's going to have some impact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Paul. Okay, because yeah. I want to talk about some signatures. Say, Let's yes. keep the signature process going. A very interesting development in the state yesterday as a referendum is being put forward on the tax reform uh, legislation that was passed by our legislature. And uh, you don't often see businesses getting involved in this way, but I, I want to talk about Harmons. All right, so Paul, Harmons has officially yes. opened up their stores for signatures for the referendum. Yeah, it, the, in this case, it will definitely get the signatures that it needs. I mean, when you have... Um, when you have that kind of power, that kind of commercial power, and you basically just have your customers saying, hey, look, this is how it's going to affect you at, at our store, then there's uh, the chances of them, I, I'd be stunned if they don't get the amount of signals. Well, I disagree with this. Paul. They have about, I think the last read I heard was they have a little over 10,000 signatures. They need about 115,000 yeah, signatures to, to get to, they have to have it done by the 21st. 21st of January. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's fun. Now, I, you know, I want to be polite when I say say this, I think it's fun that Harmon's is the store that's that's worried about a person being able to afford the sales tax on food. I mean, Har Harmon's is, Harman's <laughs> is not your low price leader in grocery stores. But I'm not uh, sure so that that's the issue there. I, I, think, I think whether you think the sales tax should be on food is not based on your net income. But I will say, what's happening with the referendum? I'm doubtful whether they're going to get the signatures, but that's in deference to how hard the test is, not to how passionate the supporters are. I will say it's extraordinary, never seen before, that we have a legit grassroots movement, meaning it didn't have a built-in special interest group that had been working on this issue for years. And I think it's extraordinary that it hasn't been tamped down. Now, most of us, when they filed, there were two originally, when they fired a, filed a few uh, weeks ago, or uh, almost a month or so now, we were like, oh, that's nice, these things go away. I hope our elected officials, whether they are successful or not, we have had a consistent drumbeat of, of, uh, of the public saying to the elected officials, I don't know that you're fully listening to us. And the elected officials are saying back, I think rather patronizingly, oh, if you don't agree with us, you must not understand it yet. And I think the onus is always on the elected uh, bodies to get to the point. I mean, and we were discussing this as Amy Winder Newton said last night, it's extraordinary that you give someone a tax cut and they're still rejecting it. It means that the, at the best you haven't communicated, at the worst you're not reflecting yeah. the values of your constituents. Well, I, I, I will tell you that I believe in the citizenry. I, I feel like they have a right to do this. But this is one of the issues that I have seen 
closely following the legislature that they have spent a lot of time on public hearings. They they did 65 hours of them throughout the state. Um, they they talked about it all legis last legislative session. It was almost impossible to get their attention last legislative session because this is what they were focused on. So in a in a well-run best managed state in America yeah, I think it's difficult for a citizen to stand up and say I disagree with what you're doing now I will tell you I went to a town hall meeting expecting to hear a the first question being asked will you sign our referendum and that was not what the question was the question was I support my elected officials and I don't want this to turn into California which I thought was stunning Interesting. So. And also a complete misnomer, as this is the second referendum we've seen in the history of forever. So that's just a red herring to keep people, well, to keep the masses quiet. But I will just say, I mean, again, it's extraordinary the pushback of the legislature continuously now. And I will say, if the referendum doesn't go the way you want it to go, and the legislative session doesn't go the way you want it to go, every two years you have a referendum on I'm those saying, people yeah, who that's elected you. Uh, Paul, uh, I want to switch gears a little bit because it's also yes. a big week at local government. We mm -hmm. have a new mayor that was just put, yeah. put, put in, Mayor Aaron Mendenhall. Uh, I know you're following this, you're talking to folks as well. Uh, priorities that she has stated that she's going to follow, how is, uh, kind of, how is she coming right out of the gate? She said the very first one that she wants to work on was air quality, that's the biggest thing. Uh -huh. And she actually was saying, I'm gonna have every single department in my, in my city administration within 30 days, I want you to write ideas on how you can put you know, more more policies into place that actually make us run cleaner. And she actually said, you know, literally every single decision that the city's going to do during her administration, cleaning the air will be part of that decision, whether it's be about development or whatever. And so that was the very first thing that she said, that's her top priority. But of course, also the homeless uh, situation, she said is something that needs to be worked on right away. Um, because of course the city right now, the police, the city administration under Jackie Piskupski, so much heat from um, from people who were protesting the fact that the road home shelter did close down. And uh, there's a debate on, I haven't seen these people as divided about a, a policy in really anything because there are some people that are saying we will have either beds or some place that you can go or a voucher and you have another group saying no you don't. People are being turned away and being put out in the cold and they will not yeah. come, come, come together she's at all. She's, she's um, inheriting one of the most dynamic environments and her test unfairly will be handling these these fires that are already mm -hmm. going and also asserting her own agenda. She's shown some, she has shown some signs of doing what I think will be the most important and it's frankly opening the doors and meeting yeah. with people and continuing to gather data and not excluding anyone from the discussions. Uh, she hired a tremendously successful chief of staff who um, has the fundamentals of government and she seems to be gathering people around her not necessarily who are just her friends but rather people she thinks are qualified and I think that that has been a traditional that has been a problem in the last administration in which you were just looking for access you were looking for dialogue and so I would really encourage her and again all indications are that she's doing this because she has some really dynamic issues she also needs to assert her own priorities during the course of this I'll give you an example of where I was heartened is that I I had the chance to stop in her inauguration and it was lighthearted and there were lots of people that we've seen and we've never seen yeah. before and there were average people and it was actually um, it felt fun and it felt good and I don't mean that lightly I think I think it should be empowering and we should feel good about our representative yeah. I think it's we gonna, do. It's going to be the last word we'll watch yeah. this one closely thank you so much for your comments today.
Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.